Chapter Eight of Interrupted by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: Making Opportunities. Then began a new era in the life of the girls at South Plains Academy. They had work to do. A common interest possessed them. They had a leader, such an one as they had never known before. She was capable of originating and guiding. She not only knew how to talk, but how to do. Committee meetings became the fashion of the day. No time now for loitering over lessons, no weary yawning behind the covers of wearisome textbooks. Promptly at four o'clock was to be a meeting of importance. It would be just horrid to be detained in the recitation room over an imperfectly prepared lesson, while the others hastened to Miss Benedict's room to be met with her questioning as to the where and why of the absent member. Mrs. Foster had never seen better work done than went on among her girls during the weeks that followed. There was need for committee meetings and for almost endless discussions of ways and means. The voluntary offerings were all in, and though each had done her best, all knew that the sum total was meagre enough, Money must certainly be earned, but the grave question was, how? Oh, there are ways, declared Miss Benedict, with a confidence that of itself inspired courage. Of course, there are a good many ways, and we must think them up. Earning money is never very easy business, and we must begin by understanding that as a matter of course, there is work, and disagreeable work of some sort, in store for each one of us. The girls, each and all, declared themselves ready for work, but totally in the dark. They knew how to save money, the most of them, provided they could get hold of any to save. But as for earning it, they really had never earned a cent in their lives. There had been no opportunity, so they declared. We will make opportunities, announced the brave young leader, to whom money had hitherto flowed in an unbroken stream but her courage was contagious, as true courage often is, and the girls laughed and announced themselves as ready, even to make opportunities, if somebody would show them how. Let me see, said Miss Benedict. Her head dropped a little to one side, her chin resting on her hand in the attitude that she used to assume when Dora said she was planning a house and lot for some protégé. To begin with, there are things to be sold by agencies. Two or three girls gravely shook their heads. One shrugged her shoulders as an evidence of dismay, not to say disgust, and Ruth Jennings spoke. Book agents? We can't do it, Miss Benedict. There are not three people in South Plains who ever think of buying a book. One of the creatures canvassed the whole town last summer was in every house within three miles, and she sold just four books. A good book it was, too, but the people who had money to spare didn't want it, and the people who wanted it hadn't the money. I was never more sorry for anybody in my life than I was for that poor girl, who wore out a pair of shoes and a pair of gloves, and spoiled her bonnet, to say nothing of her temper. And she was voted the greatest nuisance we ever had in this village, and that is saying a great deal. Miss Benedict laughed merrily. Ruth's voluble tongue always amused her. 
I don't mean books, she explained. There are other things. For instance, hairpins. The sentence closed with a little laugh, and seemed to be suggested by the dropping of one of the gleaming things at that moment from her hair. But there was that in her voice which made the girls think there was a real suggestion hidden in it, though they could not see how. Hairpins? repeated Ruth in puzzled tone. Yes, really and truly, not metaphorically. I bought some last night at the store in the village. The best, the clerk gravely assured me, that were to be had. Wretched things! I wore one for an hour, then threw it in the stove. It seemed to me that it pulled each hair of my head during that one hour. Look at the kind we ought to have! Whereupon she drew the gleaming thing out again, and passed it around for minute scrutiny. Blued steel they are, you see. That is the trademark. Each one is finished to a high degree of smoothness. One who has used a single paper of them could not be persuaded to content herself with any other kind. Cheap they are, too, actually cheaper than those instruments of torture I bought last night. I sent to my sister by the morning mail to send me a box forthwith. That suggested the business to me, I presume. There are worthless imitations, but the genuine sort can be bought by the quantity very cheaply indeed, and a respectable profit might be made on them until the people were supplied. It isn't as though we were at work in a city where women could supply themselves without any trouble. It is a work of genuine mercy, I think, to rescue the ladies from those prongs to which they have to submit. Turn hairpin peddlers, said Mary Burton. There was a laugh on her face, but the slightest upward curve to her pretty lip. Mary felt above the suggestion. Her father was a farmer, decidedly well-to-do, and owned and lived in one of the prettiest places about South Plains. Yes, said the millionaire's daughter, who had lived all her life in a palatial home such as Mary Burton could not even imagine. Peddlers, if you like the name, why not? It is a good, honest business, if one keeps good stock, and sells at honest prices. I like it very much better than selling cake and flowers and nuts and candy in the church at wicked prices in the name of benevolence. There was a general laugh over this hint. South Plains had had its day at such work as this, and those girls knew just how wicked the prices were, and how questionable the ways which had been resorted to in order to secure customers. I'd as soon sell hairpins as anything else, affirmed Ruth Jennings. I would like some of them myself. We always get wretched ones down at the corner store. But, Miss Benedict, do you believe much could be made just out of hairpins? Not out of hairpins alone, but there are other things, plenty of them. Little conveniences, you know, that people do not think of until they are brought to their doors, and that are so cheap it seems a pity not to buy them, if only for the sake of getting pleasantly rid of a nuisance. This with a merry glance at Ruth. For instance, there are some charming little calendar cards being gotten up for the holiday sales on purpose for the children. They are mounted on an easel and contain a Bible verse for every day in the year, with a bit of a quotation from some good author, in verse, you know, exquisite little selections just suited to children. On each Sabbath, 
the card contains the golden text of the Sabbath school lesson. They are just as pretty as possible, and retail for twenty cents. I don't believe there are many mothers who could resist the temptation of buying one for their children. But useful things, viewed from a practical standpoint, sell the best. I have always heard that the country was the place to get pies and custards and all such good things. It is, said one of the girls, with a confident nod of her head. This is the greatest place for pies you ever saw. I know people who have a pie of some sort for breakfast, dinner, and supper. No use in trying to start a bakery here. People all make their own and plenty of it. Miss Benedict looked her satisfaction. Then there are plenty of burned fingers, I am sure. Nettie, my dear, you said you helped your mother on Saturday, which I suppose is baking day. How many times have you blistered your poor little fingers trying to lift out a hot and heavy pie from the oven? More times than I should think of trying to count, and for that matter, I have done a great deal worse than to burn my fingers. Only last Saturday, I tipped a pumpkin pie upside down on the floor, mother's clean floor, it had just been mopped. The tin was hot, you see, and the cloth slipped somehow, so that my bare fingers came right on the hottest part, and I just squealed and dropped the whole thing. Oh, such a mess! Precisely, said Miss Benedict, looking unsympathetically pleased with the story. I have no doubt that we should find quite a noble army of martyrs among you in that very line, or among your mothers. You girls would be more likely to squeal and drop it, as Nettie has said. But now I want to know what is to hinder us from being benefactors to our race, and earning an honest penny in the bargain, by sending for a box full of pie-lifters, and offering one to every housekeeper in South Plains. They are cheap, and I don't believe many pie-bakers would refuse one. Pie-lifters? I never heard of such an institution. What in the world are they? Three questioning voices. Oh, just ingenious little pieces of iron, so contrived that they will open and shut like an old-fashioned pair of tongs, only much more gracefully. They adjust themselves to the size of the tin or plate, and close firmly, so that even a novice can lift the hottest pumpkin pie that ever bubbled, and set it with composure and complacency on the table at her leisure. I should think they would be splendid. This, in varying phraseology, was the general vote. Then I'll tell you of one of the greatest nuisances out. Look here, did you ever see a more starched-up linen cuff than this is? The girls looked admiringly. No, they never did. It shone with a lovely polish, the means of securing which was unknown to the most domestic of them. Well, explained Miss Benedict, it isn't linen at all. By the way, I am trying to economize in laundry work. It is nothing but paper, but with such a good linen finish that nobody ever discovers it, and they answer every purpose. I find they don't keep them at the corner store, and your young gentlemen friends would like them, I am sure. They can be had at the factory very reasonably indeed. I shouldn't wonder if we would better invest in some. But that is not what I started out to say. When you get a pair of cuffs nicely laundried, so that they are stiff and shining, how do you enjoy struggling with them to get the cuff button in, or to get it out, especially if you are in a hurry? 
this query produced much merriment among two of the girls which the elder sister presently explained you ought to ask that question of our brother dick he does have the most trying times with his cuff buttons he wants his cuffs so stiff they can almost walk alone and then he fusses and struggles to get the buttons in so as to not break the cuff he is just at the age miss benedict to be very particular about such things and sometimes he gets into such a rage last sunday he split one of his buttons in half a dozen pieces tugging at it i tried to help him but i couldn't get the thing in they are a dreadful nuisance ah but look at this a sudden dexterous movement and the button was standing perpendicularly across the buttonhole and could be slipped in or out with perfect ease the girls looked and admired and exclaimed they had never seen such a contrivance but they are very expensive are they not this question came from the ever practical ruth miss benedict readjusted her cuff with a sudden quivering of the lip as a rush of memories swept over her those heavy gold cuff buttons with their rare and delicate designs had been among her father's gifts less than a year ago these are rather so she said presently struggling to keep her voice steady but the device for opening and shutting is introduced into plain buttons which can be had for twenty-five cents a set and i think they are a great comfort especially to young men this was only a hint of the talk it was continued at several meetings and plans at last were perfected and orders made out and sent to the city for a dozen or more useful articles none of them bulky all of them cheap the arrangement was that each young lady should take her share of the articles keep her individual account and henceforth go armed hairpins and cuff buttons in her pocket ready as opportunity offered to suggest to a friend the advisability of making a desirable purchase if she went to a neighbor's of an errand she was in duty bound to take a pie-lifter under her shawl and describe its merits did she meet a reasonably indulgent mother out were to come the pretty calendar cards and the agent thereof was to hold herself prepared to descant eloquently on their beauties thus through the whole stock in trade as for the nuisance part of course it would be a good deal of a nuisance and a good deal of a cross especially when they met with surly people who did not even know how to refuse politely but as workers enlisted for the war they were to be ready to bear such crosses always endeavoring to carry on their work on strictly business principles to descend to no urging or unladylike pressure but simply to courteously offer their goods at honest prices if after such effort they received replies that were hard to bear they must just bear them for the sake of the cause thus decreed the heroic leader adding by way of emphasis that all ways of earning money had their unpleasant side she supposed and all workers had moments in which their work could only be looked upon in the light of a cross would those girls ever know what a cross it had been to her claire benedict to come to south plains and teach them music this part she thought such crosses were not to be brought out to be talked about hers was connected with such a heavy one that it would bear mentioning only to him who carried her sorrows 
End of chapter 8. Recording by Tricia G.